everyone. Welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, Josh. Hello there. Marcelo. Hello, everyone. And that's it for tonight. We'll get some more people in here eventually. <laughs> I think the start of the semester is a rough time to kind of get everybody on board. Austin is still working 40 hours a week, and we've got people in law school. You know, having brilliant people on the show means they're also busy with their real life. So we'll get to them eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing congressional members investing in stocks and why it's problematic. You know, you would think at face value, people would understand that, especially Congress. But here we are. Uh, we're also going to talk about some alternatives, because as much as you all know, I love to complain about the federal government and government in general. I think we'd like to have some actual proposed solutions that, you know, eh, maybe maybe they'll take it under advisement. Uh, but before we do that, you're, this is your reminder that we are on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have Twitter. Our Twitter following is really, really sad. You know, go make some spam accounts and go follow us. We've got like 17 people following us. Don't let the metaverse keep you from hearing about our wonderful announcements. We also have YouTube where you can watch this live stream. And occasionally we have TikTok. And the reason you want to follow that is because also on occasion we're live at noon central. Not right now, but we do make that happen sometime. And that's an impressive feat. You may not consider that to be a feat, but if you saw all of our schedules, you would know. <laughs> Certainly as I will be dry, um, at, at a, a dinner this Saturday, so this is why we're here now. You know, things happen and get in the way. Um, but as always, you know, we try to get it out on Noon Central and we stream on Facebook and YouTube. We always love to see you there when we are live to interact with your comments and engage if you have any ideas or just, you know, want to come by and annoy us. We welcome that too. Um, but now to pass it off with Marcel to tell us about our music and a special announcement after that. Yeah, so our music, as always, is uh, courtesy of Andrew Hensley over at a Secret Spike Studio 865 Audio. And the hot new single coming out, uh, it's already out, Misty. It's available now on all major streaming platforms. And please, please check it out. It's fantastic. Jamming with his music all the time. It's great. And the final final special announcement is that today that they were, were recording this, USPS and the federal government has made available a bunch of free at home COVID-19 tests. So if you need some tests, I think I feel like everyone should probably take one every once in a while just to know if you're infected or not. But if you go to special.usps.com slash test kits, that is special.usps.com slash test kits. You can put your contact information, your shipping address. They are shipping four free tests to every household that fills their details. Um, please do. I already ordered some for ours. So it's free, easy. Should get them soon sometime. Stay safe. And before you think that, you know, this message is sponsored by the U.S. federal government, that is just a freebie. We are not sponsored. <laughs> um, so we're going to now transition into some of the ethics bills that are on the Senate floor. And I think Josh has more details on that. But the driving question here, should Congress be allowed to even hold stocks, honestly? Uh, because what we're seeing here is that Congress holds the power to regulate, to incentivize the market. And we also see people holding stocks, which means they have the potential for corruption because you've got a conflict of interest, if nothing else. Josh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that first ethics bill? Yeah. And I think the other thing that really has become more apparent to people in recent years has been the growing disparity between Congress and and the average person, as of right now, your Congress, your average congressperson is worth well over a million dollars, and your average American citizen is worth a hundred thousand dollars. That you know, that's including assets and property. So that's why you know your income is not that, but your house may bring you up to that hundred thousand dollar mark. So what's important to then keep in mind is you know the people making the rules are ten times wealthier on average than most Americans, and a lot more than ten times wealthier than a lot of Americans. So it's certainly been this growing issue that people face, and also as 
Brian point out, like they're the ones making legislation. So one of the problems is, is you can have an idea for a bill and because of the way the bill works, because of the industry you're targeting, because of the regulation it's creating, it could be more harmful to certain companies than others. You may then act on that information and preemptively make a stock market. Now, this is already a crime. It's insider trading. It's the same thing of like when the CEO knows something bad has happened inside of a company and it hasn't been made public yet. And so they dump a whole bunch of their stock and then they come out and say, hey, we just had our worst business quarter on, on the books. That's insider trading and goes against the rules because it creates an unfair game for the stock market. And the stock market is supposed to be fair and equal, even if it is just glorified gambling. Sorry, stock market bros. So we have two bills that are now have been proposed by the Senate, one by Senator John Ossoff from Georgia, um, the Democratic Party, and Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, if I recall correctly, from with the Republican Party. And they're largely the same with a few differences, but to really get into the specifics of the first one from Senator Ossoff, the Banned Congressional Stock Trading Act, what this primarily looks to do is force Congress people to put their holdings, only certain holdings though, and I'll get into that, um, but put their holdings into a blind trust that they cannot then have any say over while they're serving in office. This law would apply to their spouse and any dependent children as well. So children under the age of 18. And this also implies an off-soft bill explicitly applies to inheritances as well to try to iron out another loophole. Now, this only comes down to like individual kind of securities, individual company stocks, individual uh, commodities, individual assets. People are allowed to hold diversified mutual funds. They're allowed to buy U.S. Treasury bonds. And a couple of the other kind of more broad, non-specific investments that don't have a conflict of interest element the same way a single company stock may have. So the main thing this bill does is basically say um, after the bill passes and or after you get sworn in, if you're you know freshman joining member of Congress, is you have to put your stocks into a blind trust and then it's hands off. That blind trust may sell an asset if it deems it's going to lose you a lot of money. If that happens, they have to notify both the asset holder. But now with this law for Congress, they'll have to publicly release that and say, you know, this movement happened to give a reporting element that's public facing. The other main aspects of this bill is that you can file for an extension, can't have an extension for more than half a year, get 45 days of time. And the enforcement, rather how this is done is they have to submit a report to a government agency and to the Senate Ethics Committee that either this action is complete. And once that is done, that documentation is turned over to the public. So basically, it freezes their stocks in place once they join office for their family for the period of time they're in office and then 180 days afterwards. After that, they're back to being a normal U.S. citizen again. If they leave. Uh, And that's the key. (laughs) That that is if they leave, yes. So that's much more pertinent to like the House representative who has a lot higher turnover than the Senate. Because you may have people who are in for one or or two terms and you don't want to hold something over their head for too long. So this doesn't doesn't prevent someone being really wealthy from the get-go, having a whole bunch of investments, putting them in a trust. They'll just sit there. And the other aspect kind of of the blind trust is they may make changes and you aren't always going to, you're not going to know the net worth of that trust. And that's why it's a blind trust. You just don't know what's happening. There are some issues though, like if you're heavily invested in the technology center section before you go into office, you know, you still, you have that 
And so you can be aware of what you're going to be doing that way. But for the most part, you can set up a blind trust and you can basically hand off a chunk of money to a company, to an accountant and be like, please go invest this smartly for me and manage this money. This money is in your trust to safeguard and care and manage for me. Uh, don't tell me what's going on about it, though. What's um, really interesting is how, at least to avoid the public perception of this bias, you've got people like Nancy Pelosi who allow you know their husband to invest or their their spouse, right? Because that way they're not doing anything. But like you know, that still, in my opinion, has the potential to it, it at least has the appearance, if not, it is downright corrupt because I can pass that information off to my spouse. Like I, I guess it depends in your relationship how much you talk about politics but at the same time like you can just kind of pass off that information oh yeah you know that it's not me it's not me doing this so i i don't know you could do it very you know you don't have to overly do it you know you're like at dinner and you could be like hmm microsoft's looking pretty spicy this week and then it's like oh i, di- I didn't say anything so no, you know just i don't know what i said i, I feel like there's ways around it and like but, but what josh has said about the bill seems like it would solve most of these issues they get to invest in the country which is great and they don't get to like create new obviously they still have like their pre-existing investments but no new ones it makes sense to me i think what you mentioned josh earlier about how there's two bills one from each party at this point i think that signals number one that there's at least the bipartisan front that they are in favor of this i think that it's important to note that politics is all theater like first of all these people do not hate each other in general as much as they do at these debates and on screen like they they there is at least traditionally quite a bit of cooperation between them and you see you know like you see the bush family and the clinton family like it's not that they hang out together the the Obama's like they're still together. They uh, went to college together. Like many yeah. of these people also went to like Harvard Law School and yeah, like <laughs> so you also see right now people propose bills all the times to appease their base and then they don't actually have to vote for it. Like they, people don't even vote for their own bills sometimes. Like I propose this and then it is so corrupt how Congress isn't even held to account for most of their voting procedures because a lot of times they either do like a blind vote or they have like representatives for themselves. It's like okay. We know how the House is split, so it doesn't really matter if all the Republicans are here, they're going to lose anyway, so we've just got like six people representing each. Like, it's it's fascinating how they're able to put on this show of, I'm very much in favor of limiting myself. Question is, will they do it? Like, will they even vote for this? And then if it goes through, will they even enforce it? Yeah, and I think the enforcement highlights a problem of, in both, and one of the key differences between uh, Senator Hawley's bill and Senator Offoff's bill is, in Hawley's bill, there is specific call to the government accountability office for every two years to do an audit of the Senate and the House to make sure they are still in compliance of this law. However, as much as, you know, that nice sounds having the government accountability office overseeing this, and don't get me wrong, the government accountability office is made up of primarily career professionals who work very hard at their jobs and take it very seriously. And so don't want to throw too much shade at them. However, the people that hire, manage, and oversee and coordinate the government accountability office are appointed by the House because it is a legislative branch government entity. So at the end of the day, they report to Congress. So yes, it's an oversight, but it's done by people you kind of put there and let be there, even if they aren't the ones managing the day-to-day operations at the Government Accountability Office. It's one of those reasons of when the Attorney General goes, trust me, everything the President is doing is entirely legal. You might be skeptical. You might trust the dedicated lawyer that's worked 20 years at the DOJ. You're not too 
too sure about that AG though. <laughs> and so there's a, a similar problem that can happen with this situation of they're overseeing themselves. And these bills also use the ethics committees in both the Senate and the House to oversee this as well, but those are made up of members of Congress. So the only enforcement and oversight is themselves. I want to go back to something that Ryan said a little bit ago, is that, you know, many of these moves are political and they're in fact designed not to pass. But there's like, you know, people want this, so we're going to do it because we want to be good to them. And, and like, you know, apparently we want to be good to them. Uh, and I, I feel like that that speaks a lot on the fact that, you know, when we came into the show, like when we're, talk- we're talking about today's topic, we were like, nobody's really against this. Like, you know, well, most people, your average person will not be against any of this. This is widely popular. Polls say it. We're saying and obviously, you know, we're better than polls. I, I feel like this is a topic that is just very nonpartisan and that, you know, should Congress people be able to trade these things because it's an obvious side of corruption? Most people would say no. And then, so we're here to discuss mainly like the one, why it's not happening, why is it not happening? And also like the ramifications of, of all of this, of it not passing and the appearance that it does, which is, I don't think it brings a lot of confidence to people that even a thing that is this popular is not passing still. There's that growing list of disconnect of, you go out and do polls of like, is this, legislation, you know, or this policy action popular in the public? Yeah, like 55, 60% of the nation says, yeah, will Congress do it? No. Uh, there's a ton of issues like that out there. Yeah, I mean, well, we've seen similar things with term limits. Like most of the American population is in favor of term limits, at least the people I've served. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but like we see that we have these problems with Congress and yet it comes down to the self-enforcement. You have, I, I guess, almost a tautological structure in which you have Congress appoints the people who then choose what comes before Congress, what charges are brought, if there were to be any in this case, like if it's going to play out like the court of law for them, and it's the people that they've appointed, I'm going to have major questions over whether or not this is going to actually be above board, even if they were to pass this. And like, Oh, it's not even that. The, the charges in the investigation is primary. Uh, the Government Accountability Office audits the charges and procedurals is still all handled internally by the Ethics Committee. So it's not even appointed by, it's literally just the <laughs> Right now, the penalty is something like two if a congressional member were to be unethical with this type of a situation. The way that I would view it if I were any of these congressional members is, great, hit me with a $200 fine. I just made thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the stocks that I invested in. I mean, it's a business investment at that point. So like, honestly, regardless of whether the fine's more strict, I'm not sure that that's even going to be a deterrent depending on how much they raise it. Granted, I'm, I'm not quite sure how much they're planning on raising that fine for violations. I'm looking real fast to see it. Uh, <laughs> the beauty of Google. Bills. Real time. <laughs> um, I do know, and I'll comment while I am looking here a little bit, is that in Holly's bill, they come after your income tax and they come after the money you made from the deal. Uh, so they are, they, they, it has a bit better of a turnaround of being like, great, you made, made all this money. That's ours now. You were in violation of the law. I think Ossoff bills just increase significantly increases the fines. I'm not entirely sure what it increases it to, but I do know it was at least above kind of a wrist slap that it is now. So you even see like courts, like a court will fine, you know, Google or Facebook, some privacy violation for like $50 million. And you're like, yeah, cool. That company's worth a trillion, <laughs> approaching a trillion dollars. Microsoft now sending it like 
$7 trillion and some regulator hits them with a couple hundred million dollar fine, whatever. Microsoft has billions of dollars cash on hand. So you, you need to match the penalties up with you know the profit they're making out of them. Because if it is just a penalty and it's not significant, then that penalty just becomes a fee of the business transaction that you might pay at a bank or anywhere else. It's just, oh, here's this you know transaction fee, whatever. And companies look at it that way. Mega rich people, I assume, will behave kind of like companies. At least they seem to do. <laughs> I'll be honest. And I'm going to throw out, I don't know that I call this a hot take or it's an early hot take depending on how you want to look at it. But here's my proposal for how to fix this. Let them be stripped of their position. Like if you're going to actually do this, let their job be on the line. You want to be a normal citizen? Go be a normal citizen. Like I, I don't see how there would be another penalty that they couldn't just wrap up like you mentioned, Josh, into just, well, that's a fee of the transaction. Like I, I just don't see how that would be possible. Strip them of their of their position. So like fire them. Yep. Like that, you're, you're that congressional seat is now available. Like I, I'm pretty sure that that would be a pretty solid deterrent for at least most of these people. Right. And we're trying not to get there, which is why these bills are hopefully if they pass, when they pass, are trying to not get to the point because it's an inherent breach of trust of you know our trust, but also the corruption, the inherent corruption that comes with like having the possibility to do this. And even if you know you don't act on it, there's always the possibility of, of doing it. Yep. So let's not get that far. Like let's not fire them to just prevent them from doing it. And then you don't have people investigating people investigating themselves. Well, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm really just proposing that as a deterrent. Like, I think that, you know, if, if you, like you mentioned, Marcelo, the, the goal is to not have people do it. I mean, you have a severe penalty, you know, <laughs> why do people pay taxes? They don't want to go to prison from the IRS. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can, if you're going to set up the structure, uh, well, this, this is really interesting. Here's the positions of the federal government and the salary that they get. So if you're a senator or in the House of Representatives, so any member of Congress, you make $174,000 a year. If you're the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi makes $223,500 a year. So Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader in the Senate, and then uh, Mitch McConnell, who'll be the minority leader. And then whoever the House of Representatives minority and majority party leaders are, they make $193,400 annually. We're paying them massive salaries already. So it's not like there's, I mean, they theoretically are passing legislation, but they're not even doing that. So, I mean, you're getting, you're getting paid to hold a prestigious title, put up a big fight, run for re-election, rinse, repeat as long as you're in there. And for some of these people, they're, they're lifers. Like, it's not like we're paying them poor salaries at this point. I would, I would love a job with those salaries with what they have to do. There's a subtle tie to how lobbying works in this too. So you have a company and you're trying to get certain legislation passed. If you know a particular group of senators or even though they have nothing in common, but say owning your stock, you may be able to go up to them and say, hey, do you know what would be a really good idea for a piece of legislation? Or do you know what's a really bad piece of legislation? And you bribe them this way. And insider trading happens uh, in this reverse too. A company will pay a Congress member with corporate information to make the correct investments. That is also considered illegal in insider trading, but just as the same as, you know, working on a piece of legislation and making a transaction, you know, happens. Or what was it here recently in the Intel the Senate Intelligence Committee where that New York senator made a whole bunch of stock moves when he got the initial CIA reports about the uh, severity and estimated impacts that COVID-19 was going to have. So he sold, liquidated a whole bunch of his assets and got out early before the stock market crashes. That's a betrayal of not only the confidential information and the trust of the government officials, confidential government, but it's you know a betrayal of the faith of the public people in their government when a member of the government so brazenly acts in such a self-serving fashion. And so I, you know actions like these help people have faith and give legitimacy to our government. And 
so I think that's a certain part of like, as you know, corporate influence over our politics has become more and more a concern, putting in legal mechanisms that help draw a barrier between, you know, what's going on in the corporate world and what our legislators think is best for the, the country are more separated. Like, yes, the corporations need to make money for us to succeed, but we shouldn't be willing to sacrifice our stuff for their sake. Like th- this is reverse. This is all about the American people. The government does not exist to serve itself. The economy does not exist to serve itself. These things are tools to better the life of the American public. Well, everything that they pass, think about it this way. If they if they give them tax incentives, tax breaks, if they pass legislation that restricts the flow of economy, if they pass things that are more progressive but have economic repercussions, they know this. They know how many votes they have. They know when it's going into effect. They write the legislation to do so, which means that they are privy to the information that says at this point or in the near future, we expect a slow in the economy, which means I'm going to shift around the money that I have. American people don't have that. Or even, you know, Josh, we could even combine what I mentioned earlier about the theatrical aspect and then kind of the coalitions that are formed. Congress can come forward and say, guess what? My party and your party can look really, really good if we pretend that we're in favor of this because we're going to propose this bill. You all vote against it, right? So like you can see that too, where there's the potential for corruption there. The coalitions that are formed that manipulate the markets, like it is ripe for these types of corruption. With trust in government being at an all-time low, I feel like, you know what Josh said, that this would just make people trust it a little more. It seems like we should really be looking for more ways to do that, <laughs> at, at least at this point in time, you know, like it, as the divide grows bigger and everything just gets a little more political, maybe a little more than just a little. I feel like trusting government should remain as high as we can possibly make it. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm less about trusting my government and more about imposing limitations on it that it can't actually go for these things. So, but, so if, this, you, you should love this, right? You, I so, do. Yeah, I would. So this, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, if this, if this went through, I'm still going to have my skepticism of how it's actually going to be enforced. But I mean, it would certainly be a better position than where we're sitting right now, because if all they've got right now is about a $200 fine, there's nothing restricting them. So I, I would majorly be in favor of, of either of these things going through if, if that's what it would do. Like in theory, like in theory this is great, right? Because yep. government is supposed to self-regulate. And right now, obviously, they have not been able to self-regulate their own historic deals <laughs> with the information that they have. So they're the ones who need to pass a bill to regulate themselves. And so hopefully this will get the job done, right? Yeah. And, and with this, you could be able to say a little more confidently, like they know what they're doing and they're actually keeping themselves from illegally profiting off of, you know, the entire country's movements. So do you guys think we should rethink the incentive structure for Congress. Like with as much as they're making and the information that they're privy to and the fact that they're not giving us our money's worth, right? They're not really passing things. They're not They're not even showing up to vote half the time. They, they let a small portion represent them. Do you think we should maybe tie what they're paid to their attendance or, you know, like, is there is there a way we might rethink the incentive structure to try to get them to actually start working for the people again? Yeah, so this is my uh, college uh, classroom plan to fix Congress. That's t- called um, every time they miss a day that they're in session, they just lose that as a percentage towards their final um, grade, I mean pay. So what needs to happen is just every time they're not there, just however many days the government's in session, make that equal, you know, make that equal 100. Every time they missed off that, they just lose another percentage point off their pay. I'd support that. Call it good. Josh and um, I agree on something. This is, this is great. <laughs> I've seen in the past kind of the other solutions that have been put forward is to create kind of like this congressional mutual fund that is basically betting on the whole stock market 
it transform congressional retirement benefits into that? You do have to serve in Congress for at least a little bit to get a retirement. It's 10 years and you have to be over the age of 62 to satisfy it. So serve two terms in the U.S. Senate. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but for the House, it is a bit more. You got to survive five elections, and that can actually be pretty difficult. The I'm House okay with that. <laughs> like, um, I'm okay with needing to have your job meet a certain threshold for the people in order to keep doing that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also like worth noting, like, it's not just that Congress enriches itself from the knowledge they have. There have been several people who weren't millionaires when they entered Congress. No one's retired, not a millionaire from Congress. Although, if you can work a job for several years making $150,000 plus and you don't retire a millionaire, you're bad with money. Well, especially with stock options. <laughs> Um, there can be better ways, whether it's forcing them to bet on the uh, American economy through like this mass mass bet or ways of diminishing their pay. There, all of this kind of just revolves around of making Congress responsible to the public in a more adaptive and controllable way. Even though this you know still doesn't do anything about super PACs funding their elections, so corporate influence is still going to be heavily you know featured. In our you know government and our politics, there's ways to regulate and control. And now that I've uh, semi regained my train of thought, remember what I was saying earlier. People uh, join Congress usually come from means. There are very few Alexandria Ocasio Cortez who were bartenders who got elected. Most of them were semi prominent community members, either local business owners, sometimes congressional leaders, or religious leaders. You get canvassed to run for office. Someone from the local state party will reach out to you and be like, "Hey, we've been looking for." people to run? Would you be interested in running in this election? And then maybe you move up to a bigger office and a bigger office and they scout talent. And, and so a lot of these people already come from positions of means when they come into office. So it's not just an outcome disparity that Congress has. There's just, you know, as we, um, I think Marcel pointed out, you know, a lot of these people went to Harvard Law together. There's not a lot of everyday people getting elected to Congress anymore. And so you're always kind of dealing with usually even the moderately wealthy to extremely wealthy in Congress from the get-go. So it is difficult and there has to be more ways to oversee it and to penalize them for it. I think having the bet on the economy kind of as a writ large thing is good. And that's kind of what blind trusts and only allowing them to invest in you know, treasury bonds and diversified mutual funds does. So it's somewhat affecting that, but it doesn't touch kind of their compensation structure. I'm looking for the name of the new New Jersey congressional member more like it, it wasn't U.S. Congress. It was state level. Uh, but he was a trucker. He spent like 250 bucks on his campaign and he's in and his interview, they asked him, what's the first thing you're going to do? He's like, I don't know. He said, I'm going to get there. I'm going to assess the situation, see what my constituents need, and then I'm going to do it. And like, there were people who thought this was a terrible answer. They're like, he's not qualified. And to me, that was a great answer. Like, I, I would want more people representing us in there where they are not everything Josh just mentioned. They're not tied into the deep pockets of the people who just keep reelecting new faces with the same thing for theater. They are instead more sensitive to their constituents. They are the AOC, like you mentioned, grassroots type who are in there now. I think that that would be a much better place for Congress. Uh, Marcella, talk to me a little bit about what you think. Do you think that Josh's class policy that I support, you don't show up, you don't do your job, you get docked? Like, I, I'm trying to think, I can't think of downsides. Do you have downsides? I, I think, here's a here's a hot, another hot take. I think we're just doing all the hot takes before the actual section. But it's like, I, I want Congress people who are not babies, who can actually, who would just 
like I would go to class even if, you know, I wouldn't get deducted, you know, I, it, there's really, there was like little to no attendance policy. And yet I would still go to class mainly because my mom would make me, but you know, even then I want to believe that I would still go to class, even if nothing else mattered. But obviously that's wishful thinking, right? And same with what you're saying, right? Like we love the idea of an outsider of a guy who it's like grew up from nothing. And he's like, I'm going to run to Congress. And it's like this huge, amazing story of overcoming challenges or whatever. I wouldn't mind having a Harvard Law graduate be my representative as long as they did a good job and listened to the people, right? It, the, the problem comes when, you know, these things seem to be disassociated so much, right? It's like, I don't really care where you come from. I don't really care what, what you do. And, and actually, you know, maybe I'll go a little bit against your trucker story. And it's like, I would actually want someone who already comes with a plan, right? Already comes with like, okay, I know what the situation is. I've worked in this. Like, I, I come from grassroots organizing. And I know what I want to do when I get into office. And that's why I'm running for office. And that's why I'm here. So I'm someone passionate enough that has a plan on how to do it. And I wouldn't mind having any of those people or anyone at all as long as they did a good job on listening to the people. But again, you know, maybe, maybe I'm asking for too much. I, I do think that what you're mentioning is a good halfway point. I think for me, I am at the point where I'm just ready to sweep house. We've started with the idea that it's great to have people who are in the know. What we have have right now is people who are in the know and they know how to play politics. They don't serve the people. So, I don't know, you have overcorrection, right? Like, we're, we're way over here with people who are very knowledgeable about how to be political, but they're not doing things for the people. I think what you're mentioning, Marcel, would be a great middle ground where they are there with a plan and not falling into the chasm of, I'm there with a plan and my plan is to just run to be elected. And over here, I don't know, I think it's a it's an interesting shakeup. I mean, it does go back to what the founding fathers originally were. Like, the, the premise of Congress was you go, you serve your country, you go back to normal life. Like I, I, there, there wasn't supposed to be career politicians. Then we moved up a little bit. We had people who they stayed because they wanted to do a good job. And now I just got people who stay because they, they want to have that job. I think there's value in people saying like, I'm not going to argue against term limits because I think that that's a good idea. But there's also like a lot of value in people knowing how the system works. There is. Because the system is so damn confusing and so damn complicated. Yeah. That like having people who are have been there for decades allows you to do things that you wouldn't be yeah, like, a, like a fresh, you know, fish out of water wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. So being in the know is an advantage sometimes. It's just that when you use all of the institutional knowledge to block things that you don't want to pass because of your interests. And sort of like going back to the stocks question, and I think it was something that Josh mentioned a little bit ago, but it's like we're trying to do this or we're in favor of this and most people are in favor of this, not only because of the corruption that inherently comes from knowing what the things are, but like, you know, what if a bill comes that is going to like, I don't know, nationalize a certain medicine, right? Right. But you have stocks in the medicine. And so you know that the stock is going to plummet, uh, but you want to keep it. You're inclined to vote against that bill because of what personal gain would come to you if that bill failed, right? So now you're mixing your personal interest with the financial components of a bill that might pass. So there, there's components that like, yes, the bill, like Congress affects your money, but also your money could actually end up affecting Congress. So the other way around. So everything is just a whole circle of corruption that, that we're trying to avoid in the first place, right? So I'll, I'll disagree with with everyone where we're at in the current conversation. So I'll take a surprising uh, turn and take um, coming from me is that I don't think congressional term limits are a good idea. I think executive term limits are necessary, but legislative term limits, not great. There is a way to get someone out of office. It's called an election. You don't need a law removing someone's chosen representative from them 
Yeah. They're, I mean, the House and the Senate are done regionally and by state for a reason. It's so the people living there can choose who they want to represent them and they should have the freedom to choose who they want, make what mistake they want. If they want some person who's been in there 30 years for them, that's fine. It's your representative. That's on you. But I will say that, and I'll just with Ryan and say that we do need, there's professional politicians do work out. Been some unique look at um, different state houses and the efficacy of state houses and the kind of civil service, you know, completeness and reparativeness provided to a state by the legislators. Because as I mentioned, you know, a lot of Congress comes from means before they get there. That's even more so true in a state house because uh, like in Tennessee, for example, I think here to Mississippi, the state uh, legislative jobs, they're part-time positions. In Tennessee, I think if you're in the House of Representatives, I think it's like $24,000 that you get paid as your yearly salary. There is no travel stipend. There's no gas. There's no hotels. So you now have $24,000 to reside in Nashville for six months a year on top of your job. But hope you can keep it when you're in Nashville six months a year attending your legislative sessions. So you don't, you miss a lot of legislative sessions because you have a job because you can't survive on $24,000 a year that the state's paying you. And so not only do we, in that way, economically gatekeep a lot of people out from running from office um, because they wouldn't be able to sustain their life if they had both the responsibilities of their job and of being in the legislator, but it also makes it so that a lot more bad decisions get made at the state levels in comparison comparison to the federal level. Like when you go back and like look up and see like, you know, government passed this bill to build roads and maintain them. There's reason the interstates have less potholes than your local state road. There is some level of efficiency of knowing kind of what you're doing that comes with being in the profession for a long time. It's uh, there's an artisan, you know, you can have an artisan politician who's been doing it for a really long time, really knows the game, really knows how to talk to the people. And there's something to be said about that and how they can bring value to our society in their own way. Statescraft. We will be right back with our hot takes. Hooray for not hitting the wrong horn in the new year yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I will go first. So my first hot take, Congress should be out of the stock market. I feel like that's a little lukewarm for takes because we've been pretty much in agreement for that for most of our discussion. But I think it is downright corrupt for the people who are pulling the strings of our economy, who are privy to information that gives them an advantage. It, it is corrupt for them to also be personally investing in the stock market or having their spouses invest in the stock market because then there are people who are in the know making those decisions. I think that like Josh had mentioned earlier, if you have something more like a general stock portfolio that is speculating on the entirety of the market and is a collaborative pool, I think you would see a lot more of policies that are geared towards the benefit and flourishment of the economy as a whole, which means that their constituents would be benefiting along with them rather than just them having the information that they need. I think also them being out of the stock market would remove the perception of corruption or the perception of these double standards because you saw a lot of congressional members putting money into Pfizer. It doesn't mean that the vaccine was not working, but you know, you're pretty much just giving fodder to people who are saying, well, clearly this is just governmental incentive. You're giving them ammunition that they don't need. Trust of Congress, like Marcella mentioned. My second hot take is that this is corruption and it is 
is an incentive to be corrupt. My last hot take is don't idolize representatives. They are elected officials to do a job. These people should not be people that you hold up as heroes. They are supposed to be public servants. And in my opinion, they should be held to that standard. Like Josh mentioned, you know, you vote them out. <laughs> Until Congress passes their term limits, vote them out. Put people in there who are actually going to represent you. I think I'll start with another, like a lukewarm hot take, just like Ryan, like a, just a lukewarm take is that, yeah, this is a good idea. Congress should not be allowed to hold individual stocks like by themselves. Everything should be pulled. I'll say that obviously, you know, trust in representatives is like an, an all-time low, I feel. And I hope that with this, more people come to realize that none of them are working for you. None of them, like not even in your party. I see that a lot. You know, I, I'm not going to get all both sides here, but but I do see that from, from, from people who are like, you know, oh, you know, like they are corrupt. Like my party wouldn't do this to us, right? Like, because they support us. Like, no, everybody does it. And like, I think the sooner people realize that, the better. Uh, you do have to end up making a choice. And obviously, I've, I've made my choice in which party I support. I think it's always important to remember that that these people, we should just try to just elect better politicians. That's the only, you know, vote them out, vote the bad ones out, vote the good ones, and, and hopefully try to like make it better throughout, throughout our elections. Finally, I 100% agree with the pooling all of the money together in like the same pool and the same fund. And then they don't get to invest in Pfizer or Microsoft or whatever. They get to invest in the greatest company of all, the United States. We have the church and state separation, but we need a church and, or not in a church market, we need a, we need a state and market separation as well. And that is, if we're going to be stuck in this capitalist playground that we're all having so much fun in, then the government needs to act as referee to keep everyone safe, keep everything fair. And if the government has vested interest in particular people winning and particular people losing, that creates inherent unbalances coming from the referees. And no one likes that. And again, it taints like the, the fundamental, um, whatever free pan spirit of the market we want to talk here, if you believe in it, it gets hurt by this thing. And so you need to separate the government out from it to make decisions that are going to protect the interests of the American people and foster prosperity for everyone. Because it's bad enough that they take partisan action and it's bad enough that senators will bicker over certain lines of legislation to get certain exceptions and benefits for their states over other people's states and that our government can't actually work together, you know, work for everyone. When the market gets involved and all of a sudden the government's picking and choosing favorites of who wins the game of the economy. And in an era of when there's super PACs who are funding and providing literal billions of dollars for campaign advertisement nowadays, then we got to be really concerned that their elected politicians are able to profit from the companies who donate to their super PACs so they can successfully get elected. Yeah, vote them out. But, you know, we have to wonder, you know, why can we never vote them out? Well, there's this monolith of political structure and money that keeps kind of an inertia moving forward. And it's two sides of the same like coin of like freeing up our elections from campaign influence and freeing up our sitting officials from market influence. Just prevent it from happening, remove the temptation and allow them to have, not even be worried about it as they conduct their business. That is a way to get closer to a government that has people's real concerns at their hearts and not, you know, whatever's going to make them more money. All right. Well, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the wires. Join us next week. In the meantime, once you finish this episode, you can go and check out the music by Andrew Hensley. <laughs> check it out. Uh, all right. We will catch you back here next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>